millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? First things first, today we need to thank our new Patreon subscribers and we would like to say thank you to Chantal Sconzo. Uh, to Stephanie P. To Aaron Nichols. To Laura Headley. To Adriana. And to Martha Luckock. And finally, big, special, massive, happy birthday... Happy birthday to you. To Alex Knox. And Alex's friend, Carolyn, contacted me during the week and she was like, hey, I want to get Alex a Patreon subscription for his birthday. What a great birthday present, right? Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant birthday present. Birthday present. Me and you living in people's ear holes. What a birthday present. So Carolyn wanted us to wish you, Alex, a massive happy birthday. We love you. She loves you. She thinks you're great. She wants to get you a present. Your present is that you now get to listen to us talking about sex priests. Happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) And we also have a promo this week. Oh my goodness. And our promo this week is a little bit different. So if you look at the thumbnail art for this episode, that is a piece of art that was created for us by the gorgeous Charlie from Tipple Art and Designs. And he does work on commission, so you can contact him and ask him for any particulars. I asked him for a piece of work that had like Bigfoot, Ouija boards, aliens, black eyed kids, everything else in it. And he did it for us. And if you look at the thumbnail, you can see that it's a really pop art comic book style. So good. So, oh, so the good. The picture did for us is so good. His website is tippleartanddesigns.com t-i-p-p-e-l-l art and designs but i will leave the link in the description so please go and show him some love and some support indeed and he also has an exhibition in kensington at some point yeah if you look on his instagram page you can see when his exhibition is in kensington so So if you are in the ldn uh, otherwise known as london you can uh, (laughs) come and check that out for him and say hi yes 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 happy days so our film review this week. Oh yeah, I forgot all about that. <laughs> I don't know if I want to talk about this film. You have to, that's the rules. Okay. So our film review this week is The Unborn. The Unborn was released in 2009 and I would argue it should never have been released, but okay. It has 4.8 out of 10 on IMDb and it has a massive 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm not entirely surprised, even though I've fallen out of love with Rotten Tomatoes a little bit recently. Would you like a synopsis? Yeah. Plagued by nightmares and visitations from tortured ghosts, Casey turns to a spiritual advisor named Sendak for help. They discover a family curse that dates back to Nazi Germany, an evil spirit that can take over the body of anyone and is getting stronger with each possession as it tries to gain full entrance to this world. 
Dun, dun, dun. What were your thoughts on this film? I think, primarily, my main thought is that David S. Goyer is a genius. Not for what he's written, but for the fact that he managed to get this film made, released, and he managed to get Gary Oldman in this film to play a fairly big part. Baffling. And Michael Bay on his producer's list. And Idris Elba, even though I know Idris Elba like, wasn't as big then, but like he's actually genuinely a good actor. What was he doing there? This film just starts, doesn't it? It just goes straight in. So let's okay. So let's go back to the beginning because we're just going to be ranting and it's not going to make any sense because this film didn't make any sense. So the film opens with a girl out jogging. Yep. And on that jog, she finds a glove and she turns around and there's this freaky looking ghost boy standing looking at her. And then the ghost boy turns into a dog wearing a human mask. And then the dog wearing the human mask runs off. She inexplicably runs after it and finds buried in the woods a fetus in a jar under the mask that the dog was wearing yes that that's a pretty good synopsis of the beginning right yes and it was a dream it was who a dream. knew it was a dream she's like whoa that dream was weird so she talks to her stereotypical teen horror movie bitchy friend who is a proper bitch about her dream and then they're like oh it's probably nothing while she's babysitting and then this is all like in the first three minutes of the film yeah and then as uh, uh, the child over the intercom no what's what they called it baby, baby monitor, monitor. Is like, people are gateways. The gateway is open. Look into the mirror. Yeah, and she's like, what the fuck is wrong with that freaky kid? Then he smashes her about the head. and with then the mirror, which is actually quite a good move. Yeah, and then she gets a funny eye. That's it really, isn't it? I mean, that's the, that's the opening 10 minutes. Um, so if you're pretty confused, that's... Imagine how we felt. Yeah, it doesn't get any clearer as time goes on. It was a film, I think, that had... It was a film. Yeah. That had... <laughs> Good points from Emma. It was a film, I think, that had too much exposition and also not enough exposition because there yes. was so much that went on. So if if you like had a bingo list of horror films, you know, you would you would probably get a full house. So there was like a Dybbuk... Yep. There was uh, the Holocaust. There was possession. There was possession. There was freaky kids. There was mirrors. Old ladies. Old ladies. Freaky old men. Freaky old men. Exorcisms. Rabbi. Episcopal plea. Priest. Yeah. Basketball. Oh, basketball, obviously. Jock, jock boyfriend. What else? Oh, twins. Twins. Yeah. Um, giving birth to a demon somehow. Yep. Oh, it was just the the most... And this Dybbuk apparently was like eternally searching for twins. Yes. But it, that was never really explained. Nope. Or why it needed to be twins, because I don't really know why it needed to be twins. Did you say uh, Lunatic Asylum? Oh, Lunatic Asylum. Yes, yeah, sorry, I forgot, I forgot about that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And dogs with heads upside down. Yes. I, I, I think this might be the worst film we've ever watched. No, not for me, because it, it just didn't leave me. With, I just, it, I was just felt bewildered by the end of it, whereas with Open House, I felt genuinely angry. They're both trash movies. It's not really that much better. But in the way that it left me feeling, so you weren't annoyed. This one is superior. Well, it did leave me annoyed because of the statements that were made throughout the film about mental health hmm. and about women. Hmm. And I was like, "Oh, somebody wrote that down." And then uh, they David, said, "David Escoya wrote it down." In fact, so it said um, at one point the guy, uh, the girl, was like saying to her boyfriend, "Oh, I'm really sorry that I've been really crazy," and he was like, "No, you're not crazy. You're just hormonal." And I was like, "Oh, oh, he just did that." He did that. I think it was supposed to allude to what the twist was later oh, on. Oh, I know it was, but, but it was just, it just really, badly really badly done. It came across really badly. Yeah. And then there was also um, 
a bit where so her her mum very sadly had like committed suicide which whereas was awful. this line has no ground in, in any no and no. she'd committed suicide it was awful she was really upset about it and then her dad said well some people just aren't equipped to live in our world and i was like they're not aliens first of all people who suffer from mental illnesses and second of all, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? Oh, I just, oh, oh, God. I can feel the heat emanating off of Emma at this point. Oh, really? The it burning really, rage. It really wound me up. through her skin I was warming just the like, house. I was just like, no, I'm not, I'm not having this. I'm writing a letter to somebody. I didn't because I'd be too lazy to do that. But what would you give this film out of five? I'd give it one out of five for two reasons. I thought in the opening scene, the dog wearing a human mask was actually quite freaky. Oh, that was and they freaky. should have run with it a little yeah, but bit. Then it, but no one ever explained never the saw, dog. Never saw it again. No, no one ever explained the dog. <laughs> I'd also give it a point for the fact that the the non-demon child, the normal child, who is a bit possessed at times, is played by Brick from the middle and he is generally quite a freaky looking kid, regardless. So yeah, that he is. also added to it. Um, what takes away from it is everything else is everything else including the bit that the old we we knew the old lady was Jewish because she was holding a star of David which I just thought was unnecessary signposting oh really. yeah and it was just awful wasn't it yeah she opens the door to the nursing home and she literally has a star of David in her hand oh fuck fucking Jesus Christ anyway I would also give it one out of five I think that's quite generous for how angry actually... not angry you were but how like well, again, I did think that I like in the opening. I was like, "Okay, this is starting very quickly." But also, oh, what's going on with that dog? That's weird. Oh, we're just never going to mention the dog again. It does reappear. It was with an upside down head, but yeah. again, no context. No context whatsoever. So it was a very badly executed film all round. But fair play to David Goya because he made a paycheck from that, and he shouldn't. How have. I don't know. He made it. How that was ridiculous. So don't watch it. Don't bother. The unborn should never have been born. Hey. This should have been called The Unmade. Yes. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So for today's episode, we're continuing our world tour. Are we going to Bognor Regis? No, we are not going to Bognor Regis. But I've never been to Bognor Regis. I'd quite like to go. We are going to the land down under. So we are going to Australia today. To the land down under. I am so excited about this episode. Although I have to say, it did take me a long time to find stories. There was a lot of trolling that had to be done. Trolling or trolling? Trolling, not trolling. I thought we had to go around trolling people to get the stories out. No, 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 I did not. 
But our first story today is kind of a bit of a fun one. Okay. Because I, I think it's really important that if you're going to talk about somewhere like Australia, you've got to talk about first people lore. And that's really important. Awesome. And I found out some really cool stuff at researching this. And this story was, was like, oh, this is amazing. This is really interesting. So are you ready? Uh, yeah, I am because you said it was a fun story. So yeah, don't I'm, don't I'm don't that. prepare to be frightened okay. just yet. Okay, there's good. there's a lot to come though. When Europeans first arrived in New Holland, as Australia was originally named, they were the latecomers. Indigenous people arrived in Australia forty thousand years earlier, and it is suggested by some that Indigenous Australians have the longest continual cultural history of any people on the planet. The cultural history of Indigenous Australians is integrally connected with the Australian landscape and customs. Wisdom and tribal laws are passed down the generations through storytelling. Indigenous Australians are a diverse group of peoples with their own languages, legends and norms based around the tribe's territory known as their country. And this means that the Bunyip tales vary from tribe to tribe. The British formally settled in Australia at Botany Bay in 1788, and as the British and the indigenous people made contact, the stories of the Bunyip were passed from one culture to another. Coming from Britain, the New World of Australia was an alien landscape for the colonists, a land filled with weird and exotic animals. Over half of the first fleet were convicts, with little experience of the world outside English cities and towns. Imagine their first reactions to seeing a kangaroo, or a platypus. No wonder the tales of the bunyip were just accepted by the settlers. The bunyip was obviously another unusual animal in this strange new land, although a little harder to catch. When Europeans tried to pinpoint the exact details of the bunyip, they found there was no single description of the creature. Researchers claimed the indigenous people were so frightened of the bunyip that they failed to take notes of its characteristics, and bunyips rarely appear in indigenous paintings. Eyewitnesses claimed the bunyip was like a 45-foot-long snake or a type of alligator or covered in grey feathers. Evidence of the bunyip was hard to find, but in 1847, a bunyip skull was exhibited in the Sydney Museum and thousands flocked to view it, although the skull has now been substantiated as the remains of a deformed foal or calf. Scientists have been unable to verify the existence of the bunyip and the creature is now considered folklore. The theories behind the stories of the Bunyip include misinterpreting sightings of seals migrating up the Murray and Darling rivers far away from their normal seaside habitat. Others claim that the Bunyip is the cultural memory of the Diptrotodon passed down from the times when the megafauna roamed the Australian landscape. The Diptrotodon was like a giant wombat or a rhinoceros without a horn, with the largest animals being over three metres long. The passing of accurate scientific information through indigenous Australian storytelling was recently corroborated after a study found the results of a DNA test of seeds aligned with a local story about a flood occurring over 30,000 years ago. Stories of the Bunyip could be actual records of indigenous Australian interaction with megafauna. The story of the Bunyip also serves as a lesson on the dangers of the environment. It is a cautionary tale reminding children of the risks of playing around waterholes, especially at night. The bunyip is a slippery creature, and yet it is one of the few indigenous Australian myths to be adopted into white Australian culture, particularly in children's books. Was the bunyip a tale of a lost seal, or the memory of the times when megafauna roamed the earth? Regardless, you've been warned. 
Be very careful around the billabong at night. You never know who might be lurking in the water. Story number one. Cool story. Before we talk about the story. Yeah. Can I just say, we, uh, I'm a very proud European, but when we were off, you know, just stealing other people's lands. Rape and pillaging and colonising, yeah. We didn't really put a lot of thought into the names, did we? New Amsterdam, New York. New Holland. New Holland. Oh, like the, when we went to... Nova Scotia, which is New Scotland. Oh, the, the, I know. When we, when we went to um, Canada, I was like, oh, a lot of these, a lot of these names are English names. This is weird. And it's not, but it wasn't just the English though, because the French were just as bad because they went and were like, hmm, how can I win favour with the king? I know, Louisville. Imagine you discover France. a town and you, well, you not discover, but you set up this town. You can only name it after the town that you've came from. If I set up my own town, I'd be like, oh, I'd try and think of some mad name for it. Exactly. Don't know what I'd call it though. I'd call it like Treeland or something like that and just get shot instantly. I and mean, that, we would veto that. Veto, shoot him. Anyway digress a little bit but it just occurred to me when it was new um, new um, holland i was just yeah. like man we've got to put some more thought into this why are you planning on, on, on re- restarting the colonies again <laughs> no that's probably what it sounded like but that's not what i meant i mean we should have put more thought into it it's fascinating, I, fascinating though isn't it yeah and it probably i think it probably is like a, a hangover from like oral history yeah like a cultural memory of living alongside megafauna isn't that mental because if you were like those people like indigenous people in australia around for forty thousand years like they must have seen animals come and go go extinct they're like oh do you remember that animal no that didn't exist and then it becomes folklore but actually the fact that their story about a massive flood was corroborated thirty thousand years later oh yeah because of oral history so that's mad do you think that the law around dragons is actually all history around people sharing the ground with flying dinosaurs? Oh, absolutely. You know I love a cryptid. Get, get, yes, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes to awesome. that. Awesome. Well, That's a really is, cool story, though. Isn't it a really cool story? I know it's not really a, a scary story, but I just enjoyed it. Because when I was looking up, like, cryptids of Australia, this was one of the first ones that came up. And I was thinking, oh, this is going to be a really scary story. And actually, it's not. It's just, it, but it's a story about cultural heritage. And that's interesting, I think. Do you know what is scary, though? What? Imagine living in 18th century England, right? Growing up with, you know, your most dangerous animals being a dog, you know, maybe a fox, an adder. You get put in prison and sent to the Australia. Yeah. And you're encountering snakes that are really poisonous. Tiny little spiders that can kill you. Scorpions. Dingoes. And then a crocodile. Imagine going to a water hole, watering hole and seeing a crocodile I for know, the first right. time. Or imagine seeing a kangaroo for the first time. You imagine. Must, like, those people must have actually been think- thinking that they've been sent to hell when they went to prison. Because they'd be like, what the heck is going on here? And also, imagine the heat coming from yeah. the UK... And then going to work in Australia in the blistering heat. Because what they, they built, like, prisons and orphanages. And they built towns and cities. So there was, like, it was just labour. It was labour in the sunshine. Where you could die at any minute from being bitten by something you've never seen before in your life. Do you reckon the first few deaths by crocodiles were by prisoners that thought they were hallucinating? Because they were so hot. just thinking, yeah, that can't be real. No, look at that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Crazy. Are you ready to get a little bit scarier. Can we not just have nice stories? It's no, but sorry. But you started so well. I did. I started well, but you know, people listen to get frightened, mm. babe. So we've we've got we've got to do this. Okay. But our second and third story are also cryptids. Doom, doom, doom. 
Have you ever heard of the Australian version of Bigfoot? No, I haven't. But there is an Australian version of Bigfoot, and that is called a Yowie. Yowie! That's the noise they made. Does oh, it? how did you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I have found for you two tales of Yowie encounters that will frighten you. Tingle my bones. That will tingle your bones. Oh, that sounds... <laughs> oh, I didn't think about that before. I repeated it. Oh, dear. Um, well, I mean, if that's what you're into, uh, that's, that's news to me. But if... if, if it, that's what the ghillie suit is for. <laughs> uh, I, I completely lost my train of thought now. I'm just going to get started you with You said they're going to be very scary stories, basically. Okay. So, are you ready? Hmm. I started backpacking around Australia about a year ago. So it's been one of the best experiences of my life. I've done some really cool things and I've met some extraordinary people. But I've also seen a few things that I can't explain. After spending time with backpackers around Sydney and then working my way up the East Coast, I've come to realise that backpackers have a tendency to witness weird shit all the time, especially here in Oz. There's a sort of backpacking culture. It takes a certain type of person to enjoy spending the majority of your time travelling to out-of-the-way places, living in hostels or living in a van and hitching ride long distances with complete strangers. Because of that, those people get along pretty well with each other. So I spend a lot of my time trading stories over drinks at the beach or during road trips, and some of them are fantastic, weird or just plain scary. I always take these stories with a grain of salt because a lot of these people like to exaggerate or are straight up full of it. But every once in a while, you get someone who you can just tell has really seen something. A good example of this is a story I heard from a guy named Ethan that I met up in Cairns, which is on the northeastern corner of the country, wedged between the Daintree Rainforest and the Great Barrier Reef. The city itself is beautiful, and combined with everything there is to see and do around it, Cairns is one of the best places I've visited. However, there apparently was a bit of a dark side. Ethan is from Wales, in his mid-twenties and came to Australia to see the sights and have some fun. When he got to Cairns, he had already been in the country for about 10 months and was reaching the end of his trip. He planned to work in the city for about a month, see and do all he could and then fly home. One of the first things he wanted to do when he got here was to see the rainforest, which is renowned for its waterfalls and swimming holes as well as the wildlife that you wouldn't see anywhere else in the world. I'm talking pythons, koalas, gorgeous butterflies and even tree kangaroos. But as I was opening up another couple of beers when Ethan was telling me this... Hang on, tree kangaroos? Yeah, we're going to pause and uh, Google a tree kangaroo. Oh my God, we just Googled tree kangaroos. No. Look how cute that is. Oh my God, they're so adorable. That is amazing. Sorry, I did not know that that was a thing. huge as well. Look at the size of that one. Let me see. That one's so fat. And they're sort of a beautiful, like, your one from Paramore hair colour. That's, that's definitely not a tree kangaroo. <laughs> that's a bonobo. <laughs> that's a bonobo monkey. But uh, honestly, stop, stop stop, listening right now and Google tree kangaroos. They are adorable. The betcha, because it's Australia, they're probably like poisonous or some shit. No, they're just really good at fighting, aren't they? All kangaroos are. Uh, that's true. But as I was opening up another couple of beers, Ethan was telling me this and his eyes darkened and he began to tell me about one of the rainforest's more sinister residents. A friend of his had recommended a tour that was essentially just a guy who took a couple of people around the tablelands in his jeep, showed them some of the cool popular spots as well as some of the lesser known areas. At first everything went well. The group Ethan was with 
were all pretty nice and consisted of another backpacker from Denmark, an older couple from the US who were on vacation and the tour guide, a big Australian dude named Riley. They went and swam at some of the most popular creeks and saw a few spectacular waterfalls, his favourite being the mildly famous Milla Milla, and then they went and settled back in the jeep as Riley asked the group what they wanted to do for the last thing of the day. Ethan immediately spoke up and asked if he knew any good places to see some of the rainforest's massive curtain fig trees. Apparently, Ethan had always had a thing for trees and had heard that the curtain figs in northern Queensland were a sight to see. It's illegal in some countries, you know. What, having a thing for trees? You've got a thing for Bigfoot, so I don't know what you're saying. I don't know which is weirder. (laughs) Riley nodded and said that they could go to one of the tourist spots and see one of the trees where the government had set up a viewing platform. Or, if the group was okay with a bit of a hike, he could bring them deeper into the forest and show them a fantastic grove he knew of pretty far off the beaten path. Everyone seemed amiable to hiking to see the better trees, so they set off and drove for a while until the guide suddenly pulled off the side of the road and began to lead them up what looked like an old game trail. The trail took them uphill through dense jungle and was a lot tougher than anyone expected. After a while, the older couple fell behind, and then so did the Danish guy, until it was just Riley and Ethan, who was just very committed to seeing these trees. At this point, Ethan grew more hesitant, and I had to egg him on a little to continue the story. So they left the others at a nice little creek and continued on for another good 20 minutes of rough terrain until they finally reached the grove of curtain fig trees. I've seen trees of the same type, specifically the one all the tour was to stop off to look at, and they really are something special. But Ethan insisted that this grove, far off the beaten path, made the ones I've seen look like knee-high weeds. At first he was really glad that he had made the hike because it was truly a spectacle. But after a few minutes, he noticed that the jungle was completely silent, except for Riley's explanation of how the curtain fig trees formed. Eventually Riley noticed it too, and commented on the eerie feeling it gave him. Ethan agreed, saying that it felt like they were being watched. The guide told him to stay put while he took a quick look around the other side of the tree grove, and Ethan agreed, although not happy to be left on his own. Riley was gone for about a minute before Ethan began to smell something vile, like musk mixed with rotten fish, which added to his unease. Right when Ethan was about to go looking for Riley, he heard a loud crash, almost deafening in the silence, like something fell out of the canopy from a great height. He ran towards the noise, and as he rounded the corner, he was tackled hard to the ground. Surprised, Ethan went to yell but felt someone put their hands over his mouth and recognised it to be Riley, who whispered in an insistent but panicked tone, Play dead. Play dead. Play dead. Not knowing what was going on, Ethan obeyed and lay still in the mud as rustling marked the approach of something large. He didn't have a very good angle to see exactly what it was and was too afraid to move, but assured me it was unlike anything he had ever seen before. The smell alone was enough to make his eyes water, but he was able to glimpse the vague shape of a squat creature about five foot tall, covered in red skin or fur. It crept its way towards the two men, and as it grew closer, Ethan could make out its short limbs as it crawled on all fours. When the beast was within a few feet of him, he saw that each leg ended in impossibly long, spindly, thin fingers. Ethan grinned ruefully at me and said that he almost pissed himself when the monster bent down to sniff him, giving him a view of its mouth, which was almost three feet long in and of itself and didn't seem to close all the way, showing off a row of toothless, rotten gums. 
The creature then stood still, seemingly watching them as they laid there for several minutes, what seemed to be hours. Then suddenly it got up, and Ethan said he thinks he heard it jump up and climb onto one of the nearby trees. They continued to lay there for a while longer until it was full-on dusk, and Riley began to get up, saying that they were probably safe now. On the way back to the group, Ethan tried to talk about the monster to Riley and asked how he knew to play dead, but he was reluctant to talk about it, and only answered that it was a guess based on an old story that his grandfather had told him. When they rejoined the group and the road back to the city, Ethan was too freaked out to really talk about it, and Riley didn't mention anything either. In fact, Ethan hadn't told anyone about it until me when I arrived in Cairns a few weeks later. I'm not sure what he really saw, but I was very careful to stay on the main trails when I did my tour of the rainforest. So what are your first thoughts? Um, That's quite creepy. I don't get the diam- diameters of it, though. It's like yeah, I mean, a three-foot f- mouth is huge. Three-foot mouth. On a five-foot Yeah, it's, just a, it's just, a, just a mouth more than anything else. It's a smiling man. It's just a walking mouth. Isn't there... Um, I feel like it's like a monster from Beetlejuice. Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? That's what it reminds me of. Like, if it's got a three-foot mouth, and uh, it's only five-foot tall, so the creature is actually more than half-mouth. So perhaps the dimensions weren't actually accurate yeah maybe i'm just trying to see if there was a, a picture of it although it, yowie it's not three foot long but it's it's fairly big okay that picture does look freakier than bigfoot it's like bigfoot's freaky cousin yeah are you aroused? The actual photo of it but are you aroused no well i don't understand when did i admit a love for bigfoot i can't remember but at some point in this episode you admitted that you had a fetish for bigfoot i now, don't actually remember that i remember you knows. saying that <laughs> But interestingly, I have another Yowie encounter okay. from a newspaper. Ooh. I mean, yeah, that, so this was reported There's in, no newspapers that don't print fact, let's be honest. No, all newspapers are 100% accurate, as we know. I mean, come on. They have to be. It's, it's, it's the integrity of the thing. Integrity of journalism. Are you ready? Yes. A woman has come forward to tell the story of her chilling Yowie encounter in Nango. Former resident Claire appeared as a guest on the Yowie Down Under YouTube channel to tell the previously unknown account for the first time. I was living in Nanango with my two young children at the time, and I had an elderly mother in a nursing home, Claire said. The kids told me a few times that they used to see a face pressed up against the window in their bedroom. They were quite young and scared, but by the time I got to the room and put the light on outside, there was never anything there. When Claire would go to the care centre, her mum would tell her about strange noises she had been hearing. She kept saying to me all the time that there was something running over the roof out there and something running past the doors at night. I asked a couple of nurses, but they dismissed it. Claire said her mum was adamant. Her story never altered and she kept telling me there was something out there. She kept saying that she was seeing this strange thing, this creature running past her door at night. One night Claire was leaving the nursing centre to head back home when she had an experience that haunts her to this day. I was walking out into the car park. It was pitch black because the lights in the car park had blown, she said. I shut the gate and started to walk towards my car when I heard a gut-wrenching howl. It was like nothing I'd ever, ever heard before. It made all the hairs on the back of my neck and my arms stand up. I got a knot in my stomach. It was fear and it makes me shake now just talking about it. I heard it three times in total that night. From then on, I started hearing it regularly in the town. It seemed to come from the edge of the town at about 11pm. 
and all the dogs would go absolutely crazy. Claire said she brought it up with the neighbours and the locals around town but no one ever said they could hear it. One time I was in the kitchen late at night making a cup of tea and something growled at me through the window, she said. I put everything down and backed away from the window and turned off the light and went around the corner to where I wasn't in view of the kitchen window. Claire said she had lived in the bush most of her life and grew up in the bush. I know possums and koalas and I know all those sounds. I'm accustomed to those noises, but this was something different. It was absolutely terrifying. Claire said the activity around her house went on for months. I noticed that when I was having activity around the house, my cat and my dog would react. The cat would go like a toilet brush. All the fur would stand up on its back and its tail would stand up. And my dog used to go crazy barking at the glass window when there was nothing to be seen outside. When first started, I opened the door and and took the dog off outside. I went outside to have a look around the corner and see what he was going crazy at. I smelt this smell that was so strong. It was a decaying body stench that was so gross. By the end of Claire's time in Anango, she said she had cottoned on that they weren't being visited by people, but that it was something else. I thought we were being visited by a yowie. I'd hear the crunch around the house and I'd get that feeling in my stomach like a sixth sense that something was there, she said. I had a little girl who would come to visit my children and one day they were playing on the computer doing things down one end of the room and I was at the other end of the room. I had YouTube on the television and I was researching the sounds that I had been hearing, the howling noises, she said. And I heard something called the Ohio Howls on YouTube and that noise on there is exactly the same as what I was hearing. And the little girl popped her head around and said, Oh, I've heard that sound before. Every time I go camping, I hear it. That's a yowie. So what do you think? I think that there are Bigfoot-esque creatures on every continent in the world. Would you like to hear these Ohio howls? Not particularly. Well, you're going to. Thanks. So those are the famous Ohio howls recorded in 1994. What do you think? I'm torn. So normal me is freaked out by them, particularly as the dogs are barking in the background. However, rational me, which very rarely has a voice, I have to say, um, (laughs) says they sound very similar to old school air raid warning drones. That's really interesting. One of the first comments on that video, because it's on YouTube, obviously, was like, it's a siren. And it does sound like an air raid siren, doesn't it? It's consistent as well. There's no no changes. I was in the listening tone for a change pattern, in the pitch yeah. or anything like that, and it's just a consistent wail. And they're all those old school sirens are different in sound, so they hold the the long note for long longer periods of time than others. So just because you might have heard one that's shorter doesn't mean that there's not one that goes for that length that we just heard in that clip. Oh, I got you. Right, I see what you mean. Sorry, I was really confused there. I don't know whether I actually explained that properly, but I knew what I meant. <laughs> so what do you think? Do you think that all over Australia there's just air raid sirens? No, I think that recording is an air raid siren. Okay, interesting. An air raid. Air raid siren. I think yowies are real. I think they might be hearing something that's similar to that, but I think that particular recording is a siren. Interesting. 
That is really interesting. And because dogs would bark even if it was a siren because it's an unusual well, noise. It's unusual noise. And dogs, the pitch. Dogs would bark at anything. But then dogs barking like that really freaks me out. So my mum's dog, Dude, shout out to Dude if you're listening, <laughs> he, he doesn't really bark. He's not really a barking kind of dog. He barks when he gets excited, but that's that really high-pitched, like, oh my God, I'm a big dog, but I'm really excited and this bark does not match what I look like. But the nights when he properly barks, when it's like there's something in the garden and I need to get it, I'm like, please don't, please, please don't do that because I don't know what's out there. And now you're really freaking me out because it's something that you're being aggressive about. It's probably just a cat or something, but it always freaks me out every time. So we've established in this episode, um, scientifically, that yaoi's are real. Yep. And there may not be fossil fossilized evidence of a yaoi or a Bigfoot ever in existence. But listen, you know, you don't need it because don't need it. When I was looking at pictures of yaoi's, Australia has a yaoi cartoon. Therefore, it must be real. Oh, it must be real. All cartoons are based on fact as well. Absolutely. Are you ready for story number three? Mm. Is it another cryptid? Mm, no. Oh, no. No, no, oh, no, it's no. not. It's a short one. Okay. But it's a good one. Hmm. You ready? Hmm. A little background before I begin. I'm a female from a remote western... Wait, let me guess. Five foot ten... Hundred and fifty pounds. <laughs> Imagine she does not give her oh. height and her weight. Who knew? I'm a female, young adult from remote Western Australia. I'm surrounded by thousands of kilometers of farmland and bushland, and we have a large variety of native wildlife on our farm and in surrounding bushland. Anyway, on to the story. Every day after work, I walk my two border collies through a selected bush track, which is roughly 10 kilometers long, as a way to unwind from my shitty job. I've seen creepy things in there before, such as dead kittens and livestock that have been dumped by farmers and thrown across logs in a creepy fashion, but nothing compared to what I witnessed this particular day. It is important to note that since we are so rural and there is a lack of people out there, I sometimes pass a camper or the odd drug grower using the remoteness of the bush as an opportunity to grow their weed despite the area being well known to police for drug growth. So as I was walking my dogs late last year in the middle of the summer, I was surprised when my two dogs stopped and began to growl and the hair on the back of their neck began to stand. I thought that it may just be a kangaroo or a feral pig as my younger dog gets quite worked up when they are around. This thought quickly faded when I felt cold and broke out in goosebumps, despite it still being around 37 degrees Celsius. A couple of seconds after the temperature dropped, I rounded the corner and there was a little girl standing in the middle of the bush trail. (laughs) And the sudden sight of someone frightened the shit out of me. The little girl was looking in the opposite direction with her back to me and looked around seven years old, judging by her height. Dirty blonde, medium length hair, a plain red shirt and black shorts. As I was about to laugh at myself about letting a little girl who was probably camping with her parents scare me, the girl turned and looked at me. And this was no normal girl. Her eyes were black. No, how have you managed to find a black eyed kid? Not black as in contact lenses black, but a hollow, lifeless black. The thing opened its mouth and let out an ear-splitting howl or a screech, turned and ran into the bush. Needless to say, I hightailed it out of there, dragging my cowering, frightened farm dogs and ran for about six kilometres, fueled by fear and adrenaline, before my adrenaline crashed and my lungs burnt, legs ached and head spun. After another two kilometres or so, I arrived home, 
ran inside and locked my dogs and myself in the bedroom, too shit scared to come out to eat dinner. I didn't walk through the bush for a month afterwards, but since walking again I haven't experienced anything out of the ordinary. I've been walking this bush since I was 10 years old and I've never experienced anything like this before. This story is 100% true. You do not have to believe me, but I am posting this here in the hopes of finding out what the fuck I actually saw. Was it an Australian skinwalker? A native Aboriginal spirit disguised as a little girl or just some really fucked up prank played by some campers? Tell you what it is, it's black eyed kids. Flipping vampires. You're lucky that you didn't go home and hear a knock on the door saying let me in. But isn't it interesting that black eyed kids stories are universal? Like I mean, they're all I, over the world. Nah, it would be if it wasn't the internet age. I know, I know. But I like the fact that she referenced skinwalkers again. Yeah. I know that. So I did wonder, and I completely forgot to look it up, so that's going to be one of my jobs to look up after this episode, whether Aboriginal Australians have a skinwalker type lore. Potentially. As well as Native Americans. Because if they did, I'm going to shit myself. (laughs) If they have a skinwalker type lore, because Irish people have changelings, which isn't exactly the same, but it's still like skinwalkery. And then... You know, Native Americans have skinwalkers. What if Aboriginal people have skinwalkers too? I reckon they probably do. Oh, that gives me the heebie-jeebies. It's the scream as well. Seeing her standing there with her black eyes howling, I'd be like, drop kick into the wilderness. It's always little kids, isn't it? They are very freaky though. Before we move on. Yeah? Well, I don't know whether you want to do this now or not. I have been to Western Australia. Okay. To a fairly remote part. And I had quite a freaky story, which is very explainable, that happened in Australia. To you? Yep. Kind of to do with cryptids, kind of. Oh, well, you've never told creatures, me this. Creatures, anyway. Really well, not I've that got scary. One, I've got one more creepy. story. Can I, can I tell that first? Yeah, I think want... you're probably better because it's going to be really anticlimactic. So. Okay. So I'm going to do one more story. My dad has only told this story very few times and has refused to tell it again. Now, just to elaborate... That's probably a good point to stop then, isn't it? Well, yeah, pr- probably. <laughs> <laughs> the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, just to elaborate, my dad is a very black and white person and does not believe in anything Six spiritual. Two, 250 pounds. <laughs> he is. <laughs> a typical army man. <laughs> and does not believe in anything spiritual or paranormal. And because of this, this story creeps me out because I know my dad is not the kind of person to lie about these types of things. He does not know to this day what exactly happened in the Australian outback on a night that scared the life out of him. Now, the place where my dad used to mine was practically a desert. A few straggly trees, shrubs and red dirt. What you would describe as the typical Australian outback. In the early 1900s, people would build shacks out in this outback, primarily to be close to the mine sites located there. The very few of these shacks that still remain are run down and almost non-existent, roofs missing, walls torn down, etc. When my dad was a miner... He was good friends with many Aboriginal elders who were strong believers in the spiritual world. It was on the brink of night when my dad would be driving back from a mine site with an elder. They were also miners. They would pass one of these ruined shacks and apparently it would be lit up like someone had installed a working light bulb. There were no other people or cars about or any type of close civilization. The elders would tell my dad very sternly to keep driving, do not take any notice of the shack and never stop to investigate. According to the elders, these shacks were full of bad spirits. Now this is the story that creeps me out, and the one that my dad will never tell again. 
My dad would be out on those mine sites for days and sometimes weeks. Himself and his two mates had all put in for a caravan that they used to sleep in each night out on the mines. This caravan had an attached trailer to carry their tools, etc. One night while travelling between mines, the three men decided to set up camp next to one of these shacks. Nothing unusual happened when they set up for the night and ate dinner around the fire. It wasn't until the early hours of the morning when things began to become scary. Three men all awoke at the same time to a blood-curdling scream of two women coming from the shack. My dad described the scream as no other, one of pure terror and evil. Startled, all men jumped up and looked out the caravan window to see a terrifying sight. The trailer that was once attached to their caravan was spinning on the spot. What? Keep in mind that for a two-wheel trailer to spin on the spot is near impossible. The screaming continued, and the three men, all terrified, sped off into the night, not looking back. My dad says they drove silent and scared out of their wits for about an hour before stopping and hesitantly going back to sleep. In the morning, my dad said that there were two visible handprints on the caravan window that were definitely not there before. They all looked on the dirt below the window, but there were no prints of shoes or feet. It gave the impression that someone was pressed up against the window looking in. It wasn't until they arrived back at the local pub and they spoke of their ordeal that occurred that night. They mentioned what had happened to the locals and the location of where they had set up camp. The locals all knew of the shack they were talking of, exclaiming that apparently in the early 1900s two Aboriginal women had been raped and murdered in this shack. Bad and corrupted spirits was all that was left remaining. A couple of weeks later, my dad and his two mates returned to the shack to reclaim their trailer. It had either disappeared into thin air or had been stolen. They decided the best thing to do was to burn down the shack in the high hopes that the spirits would disappear. My dad has only repeated this story a few times and now he refuses to even tell it. I think that night was one of the few occasions that my dad was actually scared out of his wits. He cannot have a reasonable explanation to what happened that night. And the story that is connected to the shack is very sad and very unpleasant. The end. What? I don't even... I can't even engage with that story. Why? Because I just don't like... I can't even imagine what would be causing that thing to spin on its spot. Oh, that's it. I mean, the scream... The scream, you could say... um, It's a ghost. Obviously was a ghost, but the scream you could explain away. So you could say, oh, it was... Like a creature, like you know, I know, I don't know if they have foxes in Australia, like in the outback. Yeah, dingoes. Dingo, is that what they? They're, they're not foxes, but they're. But if you've ever heard like a female fox when they scream at night time, like you could explain it as that, or whatever creatures live in Australia, like fucking I don't know, rhinoceroses with no horns and stuff. Redback spiders. But yeah, redback spiders, which are absolutely famed for their screaming. <laughs> There's cockroaches that scream though. There are, that's yeah. true. But, you know, so you could explain it, but then looking out and the, the trailer spinning around. Oh, I, I, I would have done the same thing as then, just like hot-footed out of there. Just nope, noped it out of there. Noped it out. stories described it. Yeah, that would, be, that would be me. I wouldn't be sticking around. Oh, no. <laughs> Not today, Satan. No, I wouldn't be sticking around for any of that. So I'm desperate to hear your story. The only thing is, the scream yeah. and the handprints... Stop it from being aliens, in my mind. Otherwise, that is an alien story. So if you saw the thing spinning around, you would have thought it was an alien story. Yeah, waiting for it to go... Oh, interesting. Mm. You know people can't see it. Yeah, but they heard the noise. Oh, they know exactly what that means. <laughs> <laughs> so what is what is your cryptid story? I'm really... It's not really a cryptid story. It's more of a creature story. And it's really anticlimactic. Is it a anyway. spider? No, it's not. 
Okay. It's still on. weird. Like it's still really one of the weirdest like things I've experienced in terms of the natural world. Okay, tell us. So we were we were living uh, we were living we were staying in Perth with some relatives of mine, which is in Western Australia. But uh, my parents booked a chalet in a place called Al- Albany or Albany, um, which was an old uh, whaling town back in the day when whaling was legal in um, Australia. They there used to be that's one of the popular places it used to be. Um, but on the way, we stayed in this place um, in between, which was in the forest. And we were in like a people carrier, and we were driving to the uh, to the place where we were staying in the forest. It was all all fine, and actually, a lot of lot like younger brothers and sisters were asleep. It was getting quite late. It was dark, and we hit a section of the road, and all of a sudden, we just heard this. <laughs> uh, we got to the chalet, and then we, we we went to bed, and then when we woke up in the morning, it was cane toad mating season, oh. and I have never seen so many toads in my life unreal noise was unreal just literally it was like was a it like carpet just of a toads. carpet of toads and then some barry white playing well, let's, let's get, get it on, on. <laughs> that's marvin gay but, but <laughs> i went for barry white and then i could not think of a single it. barry white song <laughs> oh no way yeah and it was really it's still one of the weirdest things i've ever experienced that and having and that and seeing lightning strike but in terms of the natural world i've just never seen so many toads in my life and toad death as well because clearly we weren't the first car to you, drive um, down the road. so i've got an interesting mating frog story so you know where my mum's house is yeah and you know across the road there's like ponds and mm. um forests and mm-hmm. stuff forests like little woods and whatever and and the frogs come out to the road to mate every year or toads I don't know which it is but either way they like that they come out and they they do it in droves so I was leaving my nana's house one night when it's dark when I was little I would like run from my nana's to my mom's house because I used to be freaked out on my own in the dark and I ran out my nana's door and stood on something and there was this noise that was like if you can imagine a pair of mating frogs being stood on (laughs) (laughs) did you by any chance stand on a pair of mating frogs i stood on a pair of mating frogs no i didn't slip but the noise oh i it was it was a squish and a like so oh god it was like oh my god that is quite gross. I know it was awful, but like that, they used to come, obviously not to the same degree, I'd imagine, as like Australian cane toads, where there'd be like thousands and like millions of them. And the size of cane toads. Have you seen a cane toad? No. We're not talking British. We're talking at least. Oh, like hand-sized? Yep. Oh. Thousands of them. Never seen so many in my life, because the, the little... I, I'd imagine the place where we stayed in like the summer was actually really nice, because it was like a little chalet that sort of went down to like a watering hole surrounded by woods like probably really nice but full of yowies no full of toads there was no space for yowies <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's an incredible thing to to see actually it's just a really bizarro kind of thing to be a part of but i just thought i'd share that because it's kind of one point you were a part of it that's not okay i didn't say a You've part had, of it. you did you said, said to, to be a part of to see oh okay is yowies is cane toads i am worried about you we Ooh. have Three new reviews. Ooh, yeah. Review number one comes from Rachel199321. 119231. Who says, I've just finished listening to the Silent Twins episode and found it that interesting that I've just downloaded the book for my holiday reading. Oh, good job, Rachel. Even more interesting for me is I am a twin myself. My twin recommended the podcast to me and we both can't get enough. 
We have both grown up surrounded by paranormal happenings, so these stories are so relatable. Keep it up. Thank you, Rachel. Oh, love it. Love a good twin. Let me know if there's anything in that book about scrolls. Just, just, just putting it out there. Please, do, really do let him know because it would be like a lifelong <laughs> dream fulfilled. And our next review comes from Coilette, who also follows us on Twitter. From the film reviews, they've covered films that I've not heard of, to the witty banter, to the subject covered. Emma and Dan are just wonderful. Thank you for all of your hard work. Thank you for listening. I would like to thank you for your hard work as well, Bob. Yeah. Because, um... Oh, are you talking to me? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking to the person in the review. I was like, I don't know if that's like a... It does like a generalised, you know, thing calling somebody both. But continue, yes. No, I'm talking to you. Oh, sorry. Because you do all the hard work, not me. I really do very little, so don't give me any credit. Oh, no, that's okay. Oh, that's very sweet. I'm, I'm, I don't know what to say I'm now. not calling our random listeners Bob. Okay. Although, if you want to pay the, drop a little bit more in Patreon, I can do that. He'll, he'll do whatever you like, as long as it involves Bigfoot and frogs. <laughs> The Bigfoot thing is unfounded. I said something about the cane toes that suge- would suggest that was the case, which it wasn't because it was a miss saying, but I didn't say anything about Bigfoot. You said that at the start of the episode, not me. I think when I go back and edit this, you're going to be like, oh, I did say that. I did say that I like to have sex with Bigfoot. That's what you said back at the beginning. <laughs> and our third review comes from Weird on the Rocks, who are another podcast. And they said... Love it. The stories are interesting. Your personalities are hilarious. And I adore Emma's accent. Thanks. Keep it coming. Weird on the Rocks podcast. Thank you, Weird on the Rocks podcast. Thanks. I just would like to say that there are many, many, many people who comment on my accent. Yes. And I, it's just, I just can't help it, you know? Yeah. It's just where I was born and raised. Yep, that's true. I just say things differently. There are many of them. <laughs> many of them. <laughs> And if you would like to listen to more little episodes, our episode, um, our Patreon episode this week is going to be sexy again, which is kind of a bit of a theme at the moment. So I apologize. What was sexy about the last one? Was the last one not oh, the, the one nuns. about the nuns? The crazy sexy yeah. nuns. Sexy nuns. That's um, the name of a band if you want it, by the way. It's free. Put it out there. Have it. Crazy sexy nuns. Yeah. That's one That's one from us. So if you would like to sign up to our Patreon, it is patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories. And for $5 a month, you get an extra tiny bims tale. Oh, bollocks. Tiny, tiny bims. Do, do, tiny. Do, 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 oh, I've started him. Oh, no. Do, do. You get an extra tiny tales episode weekly and you get an episode of 50p Movie Club weekly. And for $2 a month, you get an episode of 50p Movie Club weekly. Which I would just like to say is obviously worth the $2. Too. Obviously it is. And... Also, if you want to follow us on Instagram, we are Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast on Instagram. You can come and chat to us on there. You can chat to us on Facebook in our super group. So if you like our Facebook page, Real Life Ghost Stories, and then join our super group or LGS. It is so much fun. People post creepy and hilarious things on a daily basis. And it's a great little community and I love them. I cannot express how much I love those people. I just can't, can't express it. And then we're on Twitter. At Real Ghost Pod. Dan is also on Instagram. I am at 50P Movie Club. And um, I would like, even if you are not a patron, I'm going to be putting a vote up over the next few weeks um, with some movie offs that I would like you, everybody to vote on because it's going to end up with Will watching a film that he's never seen before. Ah, yes. I'd forgotten about that. Yes. And if 
you want to send us your story you can send us your story at real life ghost stories podcast at gmail.com if you've sent me your story already i have received it we will be doing a listeners episode next week and then we will be continuing our world tour but i've seen it i know it's there thank you i love you i just haven't had time to respond to everybody just yet and on that note we shall see you next week bon voyage <laughs> when you make decisions for your company you look for the no brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer it streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.